0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roner Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Roner Park area.
1: Let's, let's turn together to Galatians chapter 5 and let's, uh, let's read beginning at verse number 1 and In in Galatians chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, if you just raise your hand, the ushers will be happy to give you a Bible so you can follow along. So let's all turn to Galatians chapter 5. And let's begin reading at verse number 1. We read, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Uh, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, That if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. And as I mentioned last Sunday evening, when we got to this point, circumcision here simply is a a representation of the law, of the the Jewish ceremonial law. So that's why he's talking about this here. He's applying the law as opposed to liberty. Uh, Verse 3, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And of course, we taught last week that that doesn't mean that a, a saved person can fall from grace. What Paul is saying here is, is literally that if you, if you feel you're justified by the law, then grace never abounded in you. Therefore, you, you, you don't have any grace within you. So that we can't fall from God's grace. Once God imputes his grace to us, it's there forever. Verse 5. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this church that you've given us, this place where we can come and serve you, where we can fellowship, where we can come and be instructed in righteousness and taught your word. Bless our time together tonight as we gather around your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have liberty to speak to us and teach us. Bless this service tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter nineteen, verses nine through ten, we read of Jesus uh, and Nicodemus. I'm, I'm sorry, Zacchaeus. Uh, Jesus is passing through Jericho, and he says in verse nine and ten, "And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost." Last week, we spoke of the price of our liberty. The statement made by Jesus in verse 10 is interesting. He said, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. This defines the purpose of Christ, the reason for his incarnation as man, to come and be the only acceptable sacrifice for me and for you. Last Sunday evening, I shared three thoughts Concerning why the price for our liberty must be paid. First, I talked about the depth of our depravity. In Romans seven eighteen, we read, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. And Paul spoke of, of his own depravity and how, how, how sinful he was. And we took the time last week each, to, to apply that to each of us. To show us the depth of our own depravity. Every one of us in this room, whether we want to think we were something special or not. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen uh, short of the glory of God. And we are all, uh, we all are depraved. Secondly, we looked at the cost, the price of our salvation... Uh, concerning the certainty of our condemnation, we talked last week about the certainty of death, and we even spoke a little about that, a little bit about that in this morning's message. But that all men are condemned; all of us are condemned. Now Romans six twenty three: For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we we talked about the certainty of our condemnation under sin. And then thirdly, we talked about the remedy for our redemption. That it was necessary for Jesus to come to earth and to die in our stead. This was the remedy, the only acceptable price, the only acceptable payment for our sin. Romans 10 chapter 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So last week we looked at the price, the cost of our liberty and and we need to understand why that cost was necessary. It's because we are depraved. It's because we were we were filthy, evil, wicked sinners in the sight of God. We were nothing better. We were nothing less than that. It's because of the certainty of the condemnation that we faced. Every one of us, without exception, were condemned to hell for all eternity. And that is where we deserve to be. But Christ, in his great love for the Father, and in his great love for us, came and offered himself a ransom for our wretched soul. Now tonight, I would like to continue these thoughts along the line of our liberty by considering the purpose of our liberty. Everything that God does is for a purpose. God does nothing without a purpose, without a plan, without a will. In Romans 8, 28, we read, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, we may not be able to understand everything that God does. Certainly, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't understand everything about God. I don't understand everything that God does or... There certainly are some things God does that, in my finite human mind, I wouldn't consider doing. I don't understand everything that God does, or I don't, and I also don't understand why God allows all the things that He allows to happen. Uh, I mean, if I were in charge, if if I were God, uh, there wouldn't be any atheists left. I'd take them all out the way. There'd be a lot of little greasy spots all over town. People would say, what was that? Well, that was an atheist. Oh, praise the Lord, I'm not an atheist. I wouldn't, I, I just, I. you know, I'm different, I guess. But I don't allow everything, I don't understand everything God allows to happen. But it's not for me necessary to understand, amen? It's not for me to know. God, everything I need to know, everything I need to understand is found in here. God has given me his word so that I could know him. And so I could understand everything that he wants me to understand. Some things we won't understand until we stand in his presence. We simply must trust in his sovereignty. And we must believe the testimony he gives us in his word in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. That all things work together for the fulfillment of God's will and purpose. After all, Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 and 14, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? I know that God doesn't counsel, he doesn't come to me and say, well, Dalton, this is what I plan on doing. What do you think? God doesn't do that. I'm, I'm nobody that the Lord should, should seek counsel from. I have no wisdom other than the wisdom God has given me himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 16, Paul writes, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We, we don't know the mind of God. We can't instruct God, but, but God instructs us. And he gives us the wisdom that we need. We have the mind of Christ. Who are we to question God? It is by his counsel alone that he does all things. He does not need our consent. He does not need our cooperation. In fact, the Father goes as far as to tell us that we have no right to question his authority or his wisdom. In Job chapter 38, verses one through four, we read, "Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and said, "Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. And God challenges Job. He says, "Just who do you think you are, Job?" Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I created man out of the dust? By what knowledge, Job, do you counsel me? And we could continue through the remainder of this chapter and see God's challenge to us concerning his right to establish his own purposes in all that he does. And furthermore, everything that God purposes will be done. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11, we read, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. But again, I, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Right? You do know these things, right? All of you? You are awake out there? Amen? Amen? But as usual, it must be said because so often we fail to remember these things. And we live our life as if we didn't even know these things. So tonight, with the little time we have, let us consider a few of the possible purposes for our liberty in Christ. The first purpose that I find in scripture for my liberty is this, to secure... My salvation. So, number one on your study sheets sheets is to secure our salvation. God's purpose in in our liberty and the freedom we have in Christ Jesus is to secure our salvation. We read a moment ago in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke. Bondage It was quite necessary that it be Christ that established our liberty because you and I, even though we 're born again tonight, even though we 're saved, you and I are still subject to sin we will we will again, no matter how desperately we try, we will again become become bound by sin, we will fall to temptation we will fail so in order to secure our salvation, it was necessary that Christ himself make the sacrifice. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, concerning Christ, we read, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God cannot and will not allow sin in his presence. He demands from each of us, he demands holiness. First Peter chapter one, verses fifteen and sixteen, we read, Be but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye all be, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And each of us is commanded by God to be holy. Now, that should frighten us. That should really frighten you. God demands you be holy. Brother Gary, can you be holy? No, not by himself, he said. Can anyone in this room stand up and proclaim, I am holy? None of us can. We can't be holy. It's not possible for man to be holy. It was necessary for God to come and make the only acceptable sacrifice on our behalf. We studied that last Sunday evening, if you remember. There is no other way. There is no other hope for us tonight. Of course, again, we all know this. So I do not need to develop this thought of of our holiness in Christ. But I want to remind you tonight the thing that I want to stress is that the intercessory work of Christ did not end at the cross. How do I know that? Because Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 tells us, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now this is not to suggest that we are ever in danger of losing our salvation. We all know the security we have in Christ, that we cannot lose our salvation. This also does not mean that Christ needs to litigate our redemption to the Father over and over again, as I've heard some Baptist preachers teach. Over the years I've actually heard Baptist preachers who who say Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and every time we sin he 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 turns to the father and says, "Now father, you need to forgive them for that sin because they uh, you, you need to remember that I died for them. And I shed my the, the, what a what a pitiful picture of Christ. He does he isn't there litigating to the father that which the father has already declared. He stands in fact in the office of the priest. To answer the accusations against God's elect saints raised by the devil himself. How many of you have ever read the book of Job? Well, at the beginning of the book of Job, we see Satan coming to the Father to do what? To accuse the who? The children of God. To accuse the saints. And Christ stands in answer to those accusations. He stands in testimony of his shed blood. For our remission of sins as proof that our sins were paid and were nailed to his cross. This is the liberty Paul wrote of in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. When he writes, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Our liberty is the result of our security in Christ. And this is seen in two ways in scripture. First, it is seen letter A, because we are sanctified. I'd like for you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'll get there. There it is. Hebrews chapter 10. And let's begin reading at verse number 9. Verse 9, we, say, we read, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now you see in verse 10, it says, By the which will we, we. See that word we? Paul here is speaking to the Christians, uh, the Hebrew Christians. He says, We are sanctified. We are separated from sin. We are set apart by God. We are sanctified, he says, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now look at verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now last Sunday evening, if you remember, if you were here, I spoke about the fact that the Old Testament sacrifices were an imperfect picture of of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. That the, the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin, but they were they were a picture. They were a, a, an image of the of the shed blood of, that would come, the Lamb that would come and shed his his perfect blood for the remission of our sins. Verse twelve. But this man, and here Paul is talking about Jesus. But this man. After he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And we see that Christ made one sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, as we said, as testimony and witness of our redemption. We are sanctified, Paul said, we are sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is accomplished by the work of Christ on the cross. It is not by human effort or device. Without this sanctification by God, we could not stand justified in his presence. Without without the sanctification made by Christ, by his death, I could not stand here tonight and proclaim myself to be born again. I could not stand here and expect to be held justified in the sight of God. So the purpose and the liberty that wherewith Christ made me free is to secure for me that salvation, to secure my sanctification, to to remove me out of the out of the expectations of the Father. First Corinthians chapter six and verse eleven, Paul writes, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God now this is a wonderful thing do you understand tonight those of you who are truly saved do you understand how great this is do you really comprehend what 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 we're saying that in the sight of the Holy God you are holy that in the sight of a righteous God you are righteous you are justified just as if you've never sinned in the sight of God because of the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ through his precious blood which was shed on Calvary for me. Wow, that's, that's, that's awful amazing. It's, it's, it's absolutely overwhelming. When I came to realize this 33 years ago when I was saved, I was so over, My life changed Forever. I could never be the same. This is an amazing thing. How can we go through our lives so callously aware of these things? It's amazing. We are sanctified. But not only are we sanctified, our liberty is seen secondly in the fact letter be that we are sealed We're not only sanctified, we're sealed unto the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul writes, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Any of you ever worked around a cattle ranch or, or maybe spent any time around a cattle ranch. What do they do to prove ownership of cattle? What's that? They brand them, that's right. They take that cow and they, they take that hot iron and they put that brand on that cow and that what is that what does that do? Well that says that that shows ownership of that cow. Now, relax ladies, I'm not calling you a bunch of cows tonight. But each of us have been branded. We've been sealed. We've been we have the we bear the mark of the Holy Spirit in our bodies. We have been sealed with the Spirit of God. We've been given the Holy Spirit as guarantee of our security. And this truly liberates us from the bondage of the flesh. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18. This I say then. Walk in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. The one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit. Ye are not under the law. Now a lot of. I've heard a lot of. Teachers teach, and not incorrectly teach, that Paul says we cannot do the things that we would. They say, well, in other words, the flesh keeps us from doing the things that we ought to do. But that's saying the glass is half empty. I prefer to see the glass is half full. I see this verse as telling me that the Holy Spirit keeps me from doing the things that I would do if he were not present in my life. See, that's that's the, the... the attitude we have to have. We need to understand that we have been sealed. We have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can live in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, that we now can overcome temptation. You know, before I was saved, I'd try and try and try and try to do the right things. And, and sometimes I could do the right things for a little while, but I always seem to fall back into that. Habit of doing the wrong things. But you know, since Christ saved me and I have this full awareness and constant awareness of the liberty that I have in Christ. That that I don't have to obey the flesh. That I don't have to give in to temptation to sin. Because I have been made a new creature. And I do have living within me the nature of Christ. And I do have the Holy Spirit within me. That is there to, to instruct me and to encourage me and to empower me. Now I realize that I don't have to give in. So I want, I want us all to understand tonight. I've, I've taught this to teenagers for decades. Don't ever, don't ever deceive yourself. We sin because we want to sin. You lie because you want to lie. You steal because you want to steal. You cheat because you want to cheat. It's not because you have to. Because we don't have to. Because the spirit of Christ has made us free. We do not have to do those things. We do them because we want to do them. Get that straight in your mind right now. Because only then will you be able to learn to despise your own flesh enough to yield yourself to walk in the spirit of Christ. So we we can see that our liberty serves as evidence of our security and salvation. But another purpose of our liberty, number two tonight, is to enable us to obey. And I just I just hit on that just a little bit to enable us to obey. In John eight thirty four, we we read Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin, is the servant of sin. Paul spoke of this as well. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, we read, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Now we know and understand that the natural man cannot help but obey the flesh. We know that the natural man, and by the natural man I'm referring to the to the unrepentant sinner, we know that he cannot and will not live a life of obedience and submission to God. He has to sin. He must sin. Because that is his nature. In Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 12 we read, And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will, every one, do the imagination of his evil heart. And this is the nature of man. To to do that which abides and and resides in his evil heart. We have to remember the scripture tells us that man's heart devises wicked imaginations continually. Now with the liberty we have in Christ Jesus our Lord, however, we are enabled. We are empowered to obey the Lord. But how can this be? How can we that have no hope to overcome the lusts of our flesh, how can we forsake sin and walk in obedience to Christ? Well, let me give you two thoughts on that. First, letter A, through the newness of life. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that word creature would be more correctly translated creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now I'd like for you to turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 6. Let's all turn there together. Romans chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now, now here Paul is addressing the liberty we have in Christ. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul is saying, so that, so that God's grace is so graciously seen, should we just continue to live in sin? Verse 2. God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We have been, we have been given a new life. Upon salvation, Christ has, has made us free from the law. God has recreated us in the, in the, in the the newness of life. He has, He has, He has given us a new nature, the nature of, of Christ. And that nature is, is ours by virtue of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, asking man to live apart from sin is an impossible task. At least, in his own power, it is an impossible task. However, as new creatures, what did Paul tell us? All things are of God. We read it just a moment ago. Um, in Second Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. God has enabled us. He has enabled us to live... a righteous life. He has enabled us to overcome sin... and to walk in this newness of life. But then secondly... it is seen in the power... of Christ. Philippians chapter 4 verses... 12 and 13. I know both how to be abased... and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things... Paul writes... I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Now look at verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We are able to, to walk in this newness of life. We have been enabled. We can forsake sin and we can live in obedience to Christ in the power of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, Paul... And here in these verses is speaking of contentment, but it also serves to prove that our, uh, that our strength to obey, our strength to overcome lies in the person of Jesus Christ from whom all power flows. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, we read, And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Paul said, I can do all things. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And what he means by that is, I can do all the things that God wants me to do. I can do all the things that God expects me to do by Jesus Christ. I can be a good husband. I keep telling my wife that. I can be a good husband, honey. Just hang in there. I can be a good husband, I can be a good father. I I can be the kind of husband and father God wants me to be. I, I can be the kind of church member Christ wants me to be. I can be the kind of employee Christ wants me to be. I can be the kind of friend Christ wants me to be. And I can be the kind of child of God that Christ wants me to be. Now, I can't do those things in my own power. I can't do those things in my flesh. But I can do all these things through Christ. I can do all of these things in the power of Jesus Christ. And since Christ hath made us free, since he has given us our liberty, we know that we have been given liberty and been given the ability to obey God in all things. The only question is this. Do you choose to obey? That's the only question left to answer. It isn't that we can't anymore. It's do we choose to do so. So our liberty serves to secure our salvation. Secondly, it serves to enable us to obey. And then thirdly tonight... To bring glory to God. The purpose of our liberty is to give to bring glory to God. Why are you here tonight? Why am I here tonight? We're here for one reason. To, to glorify God. That's it. Our lives are designed to glorify the Father. That's what we're to do. We're here to worship Him. We're here to praise Him. We're here to serve Him. We're here to instruct our children and, our, and others, we're here to, to instruct them of Christ. We're here to glorify God. We're not here to build big houses and fancy houses. My wife likes to go to these websites. What's it called? Uh, Zillow, I think. Is that the name of that website where you can go look at all the houses? Zillow. She likes to go there and she calls me and says, Oh, look at this. Look at this house. And I tell her, oh, how can you enjoy sitting there looking at things you're never going to possess? I mean, it's, it's incredible. We're not, we're not here to amass houses and property. and We're not here to drive the most expensive car on planet earth, which will get, won't get you to the airport any faster than my explorer will get me there. We're not here to amass treasure and fame and power and popularity. That's not our purpose in life. Our purpose in life to glorify the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The ability to bring glory to God is predicated by our liberty. It's simple to understand that we cannot glorify God if we are in sin. And it follows that we cannot overcome sin Unless we are redeemed. And we cannot be redeemed unless we are regenerated by the Father. And we will not be regenerated by the Father unless we are one of his elect saints. And all of this leads us to the conclusion that it is impossible to glorify God without his grace. Now allow me in closing, and don't be deceived, closing this morning took me 15 minutes to close, so... We're not, we're not necessarily going yet. Allow me in closing to share this outline for the believer to live a life that glorifies God. Just a few simple thoughts. Number one, letter A, live by faith. Live by faith. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Of course, Paul here is speaking of Abraham. Abraham, whom we call the father of the faithful. When we live by faith, we bring much glory to the father. In fact, faith is a direct result of our liberty. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, we read, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Living by faith does not prove that we are great, It is simply evidence of the righteousness of God. Remember, faith is a gift from God. Romans 12.3 tells us, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And the ability to have faith comes from God. So we glorify God when we live by faith. And not by sight. Secondly, if we want to live a life that glorifies God, let her be, keep God first. Keep God first in your life. Let nothing come before God. Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed But with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. God should be at the center of all that we do. God should be in the center of our marriage. God should be in the very center of our home. He should be in the center of our decision-making. Every decision we make should consider God first and everything else secondly God is at the center of our priorities before we decide how to spend one dime of our money we should consider God before we decide on how we're going to spend one moment of our, of our time we should, we should start with God God should be at the center of everything we do and by the way we should teach that to our children also our children should know and understand that God is first in everything in our lives Every decision we make should begin with Christ and move outward from there. Thirdly, if we choose if we would like to live a life that glorifies God, number 3, let her see bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. John 15:8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit; so shall ye be my disciples. But not only is God glorified when we bear much fruit, he also has ordained us to do so. He has purpose that we would. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we read, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Fruit in the scripture refers to our works, to the things we do. Now, now works don't, don't give us salvation. But James said, Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith produces works in the life of a believer. If we truly have faith in God, we will we will have works in Christ's name. We will do the things we should do in the name of Christ. Because faith produces works. Whether good or bad, works in the Bible, uh, fruit is considered works. So we are to be rich in good works. And we are to bear much fruit. And then, lastly, and this will be our final point tonight, letter D... Be a faithful servant. Be a faithful servant. If you want to live a life that glorifies God, be faithful to him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister... Let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are to be faithful. God is glorified when his people are faithful in their devotion and in their service to him. Subsequently, a reproach is brought upon the name of the Lord when we fail to remain faithful to him. Now, folks, so much more could be said tonight and, and, and there's so many things I've left off just to make these main thoughts, to develop these main thoughts. I pray that you will go away from this and that you will dig into God's word and, 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 and find all of the richness that's in his word concerning the liberty that we have in Jesus and, and why that liberty was given to us by him, the purpose in that liberty. But... It's up to each of us to continue this study. So let us close and leave here tonight with a renewed dedication to live our lives according to God's purpose for us. 33 years ago, I was working and a man, I hired a man to work for me. I was a contractor. and I hired my high school friend, Mike Alpha. And when I when I when I last seen Mike in high school, he had he had long hair and he and I were were buds. We were pals and we didn't do the nicest of things and we didn't do the best of things. But when when Mike came to to work for me, he came walking across the parking lot and I looked at him. He was clean shaven and well-dressed and he was he had a spring in his walk. And and I, I asked him, I said, Mike, what happened to you? And he said, Jesus found me. And I said, okay. All right. Jesus found him. And Mike began to witness to me. And after a while, I realized I desired in my life the things that he had in his life. And, and, and some months later, after Mike witnessing to me time and time again, the Lord opened my eyes. And opened my heart, and I was born again. And from that moment, I knew that my life no longer had any meaning other than to glorify God in my life. And folks, I'm nobody special. Lots of you could stand up and attest to that, but we're not going to get into that right now. I'm nothing special. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But 33 years ago, I knew that my life belonged to God. And I was going to spend as much of my life as I could witnessing of Christ and serving him. You know, I can stand here 33 years later and I can say, and, and, and my wife and I, we, we're not rich. Those of you who know us, you know we're not rich. We don't, we don't, I could carry everything in a small backpack that, that, that I have. But I'll tell you this much. We are rich. We are rich in the grace of God. We are rich. That we, we are rich in the love that we have in Christ Jesus. And I don't regret one day. I said it this morning. This, this is my 1,668th Sunday morning as a child of God. Sunday as a child of God. I don't, I don't regret one of them. Serving Him. Now, I can't speak for anyone but myself tonight, but what about you? What do you want in your life? Do you want to glorify God? Do you want your life to be honoring to the Father? Do you want to be a good husband? Do you want to be a good father? Do you want to be a good church member? Do you want to be a good person, a good friend? A good employee? Do you want to honor and glorify God in all of these areas of your life? You can. Because you've been sanctified. You've been justified. You've been sealed. You've been empowered by Christ. You've been enabled to do all these things. All you have to do is give everything to God. Live by faith, put Him first, be faithful. Do all these things that Jesus taught us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the wonderful grace that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we have nothing to give you but but ourselves. We're not worth anything. We, we were sinners and we were, we were vile and we were, we were repulsive. And And if it weren't for your grace, Father, we still would be. So we have nothing to offer you of any value, only our submission, only, only our love and our service. As children, loving and, and honoring their father and just, just giving ourselves to you. So help us, Father. Help us to understand this great liberty that you've given us, that we might appreciate it, and that it might be of value to us. Bless all of who are here tonight. Help us as we go forth this week to, to glorify you and all that we do. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for these things. For it's in Jesus name we pray.
0: Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.